let's go back to that baseball diamond. So um, we are, well, everybody is rebuilding everything in life, <laughs> right? Everybody is rebuilding businesses, families, um, ministries, our country. We're all in a rebuilding phase. And so um, we are uh, rebuilding the church of San Diego. And uh, just this last week, uh, it was a couple months ago, for those of you who don't know, if you've never heard of We Pray San Diego, myself, Miles McPherson, and a couple of their pastors, um, when the pandemic first hit, uh, we started something. We saw a video from Brazil where they were crying out, kneeling on the streets all throughout Brazil, crying out to the Lord. And it actually, um, uh, Ray Bentley saw that video, sent it to Miles and said, dude, we need to do this. And so Miles and I connected over it and we kind of ran with it. And, um, and so we prayed for our city. The first time we had 15,000 believers, 11 locations on the street, on our knees, all over San Diego, 18 mayors, uh, the mayor of San Diego, um, supervisors, I mean, the police chief, everybody's out praying. And so we do these quarterly and then we prayed over the hospitals and the nurses, and the doctors, we prayed over the school system. So uh, the n- next conversation was, well, what do we pray for now? And um, I said, why don't we pray for the church? I mean, we took a beating last year. People hating each other in Jesus' name, leaving churches. It's just horrible. And, uh, so, and, and then he said, well, why don't we start with the pastors? Because, of course, the church is only as strong as the pastors. And so we put something together, and I didn't know if any of you would come out or not. And, and um one of the things that we decided to do was to be honest about our own struggles. And so Miles, myself, and a couple other pastors were on the platform, and we were asked the questions, what, what was the hardest thing last year for you? And I, I said, forgive me, but I said, I found out the body of Christ is just a little meaner than I thought she was. And um, just the way that believers were, were treating one another, uh, I know it broke Jesus' heart. Um. And that we have fewer disciples than we thought we had, another pastor said. Uh, Because so many people blew out for reasons that had nothing to do with the gospel. And found out there were other gods that we were worshiping. And so, um, but then we wanted to bring hope. And so, uh, I said, well, Miles, if you and Ray was there, Ray Bentley, and, you know, if there's a couple of pastors that everybody in the city knows were to ring the bell... We might get some pastors out. And so we didn't know what happened. We had over 100-plus pastors there on Thursday morning just of this week. And that was beautiful to see. And um, Josh was uh, leading worship with uh, the worship leader from Rock Church. And Josh looked like he was a kid in a candy store, man. He was, he was like they had all the bells and whistles and, I mean, the musicianship. And, and it was just all so powerful and and uh, Josh was just dancing around the stage and singing. Oh, I just loved watching him do that. It's just great seeing him do what he's hardwired to do in t- total freedom. And, um, and then when we got into our, our, our uh, for about an hour, we prayed together. And we got into small groups around tables. We put senior pastors with senior pastors, associate pastors with associate pastors, worship leaders with worship leaders, youth pastors with youth pastors. Because they all carry the uh, same burdens so they could process and um, one of the things I was really hoping for was the, the young men and women that are coming up to lead the church of San Diego would be encouraged. Uh, like one young man, 
this is a testimony, by the way. One young man took over a friend of mine church. A lot of my colleagues are retiring. They've been pastoring 40, 50, even 60 years in the same church here in San Diego. And now these young men and women are coming up. And one of them just took over a friend of mine's church, uh, Pomerata Christian in uh, Rancho Bernardo. You know, Evan had pastored that church for 40 years. And uh, so JP, you know, a young 30-something, he comes in and bam, COVID hits. It's like, welcome to the ministry. It's like, that is not fair. And uh, he really went through it, man. And, and he was there and other young pastors were there. And when they were to hear the stories that everybody, including the big dogs, including the mega churches, and everybody suffered last year. And we all have had to cleave to Jesus. It was so encouraging for the young ones to hear the horror stories and the war stories from even the guys who seemed to be untouched. Nobody was untouched. It's like when I counsel a young married couple, you know, they're married six months or a year, and they think their problems are unique to them. And you say, oh, no, that, everybody goes through that. Really? I thought it was just us. But no, it's everybody, right? That's why it's so important for the older, those who've been married for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, to, to get some young couples under your wings and shepherd them up. And So anyway, that was, a to me, a huge testimony because... Um, 25% of pastors are quitting or on the verge of quitting. That is not good for the church. And so we wanted to ring the bell, call them all together and say, last year was hard, but our future is bright. Because Jesus is not done building his church. And he won't be until he comes back or we get to go see him face to face. And so... Everybody has to do their part. you got the big C church, Church of San Diego, Church of the World. But you also have the small C church like our church. Every local church is a small C church that makes the big C church. And so we got to do our part as well. So when you come to the Gathering Place Church, you say, okay, well, what's the next step? And so the way we do it is a baseball diamond. It's very simple to understand. You believe first. That's uh, where you pitch the ball. But... The belonging, people don't come to church just to believe. They can believe at home. They come here to belong. And so today we're going to do a belonging course, a seminar. It's called Getting to Know the Gathering Place, Becoming Part of the Family. And I'll be there. We're going to have lunch together. And uh, we're going to go through the vision of the church, why we're here, what our vision is, and how you can be a part of that vision. Once you do that, then you go to second base, which is becoming like Christ, becoming like Jesus. And that is a discipleship course. And Pastor Mark and Shelley are going to start that uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, on a couple Wednesday evenings, uh, they're going to host it at their home, and that's learning the spiritual disciplines, how to become like Christ, how to get deeper into the Word, deeper into prayer. Uh, and, uh, and then uh, number three is building the church of Jesus. Jesus is building His church, and He has given you spiritual gifts to build His church with. So you don't want to be spiritually unemployed. So uh, third base is learning your spiritual gift, and fourth base is bringing people to Christ. And that's evangelism. That's learning how to share the gospel with your friends, family members, and anybody that comes across your path. Stephanie Demink, who's in the children's ministry today, she uh, is our captain over Home Plate. And she is going to do a bringing people to Christ seminar at the park. Our first time at the park is uh, July 11th, I believe. We're going to be, we're going to go from here and we're going to do Sundays in the park. You guys know we did Fridays in the park. We're going to do Sundays in the park. And so we're just going to go from here, grab a lunch somewhere, head over to uh, 
Ranch Bernardo Community Park. We're just going to hang out like we do as a family and just spend some quality time together. And at the park, Stephanie is just going to grab a bench or something, and anybody who wants to go through her course on evangelism can go through 401 right there at the park. Isn't that smart? I came up with that. All right. So anyway, we are rebuilding the church. So let's pray and get into the Word today on rebuilding. Jesus, thank you for the hungry who are here, the hungry who are online watching right now. Feed us, Lord, with the power of the Word of the living God. Build us up, strengthen us, undo the lies of the devil, Lord. Lift oppression, depression, fear, anxiety, worry, hate, unforgiveness, any bondage and strategy and stronghold of the enemy, Lord. Bust it up with the word of God today and the power of the Holy Spirit. Set us free, Lord. Strengthen us so that we can build your kingdom with you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Last time I preached, I uh, preached, and now I'm going to start. Now I'm going to start. All that was not my message, Dennis. I was, holding, I was holding Dennis to a timeline last week, and now he's, I'm sure, watching me today. So we'll just we'll keep it all fair, Dennis, all right? We're going to keep it fair. I'm going to give myself an hour and a half. That's fair. All right, here we go. So last time I spoke to you guys, I taught on four ways to rebuild anything. We looked at the book of Nehemiah, how Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. The walls of the city of God were torn down. You can have a born-again spirit, but if your mind is not renewed to the Word of God, if your emotions are not uh, fortified by the Spirit of God, if you don't have godly relationships in your life to help you to be discipled and walk along, that means your walls are broken down. The walls of your soul realm are broken down. The walls of your life are broken down. Just getting born again isn't enough. You can praise God, but then the devil's sowing lies into your mind, and he's tormenting you and keeping you in bondage, even as a believer. And so you need to learn how to build up the walls of your life so that you have walls around the city are for protection, right? So they had rebuilt the temple, um, Ezra rebuilt the temple for worship, but the walls around Jerusalem were still torn down. So Nehemiah heard about it, and he was burdened. And these are the four things I taught you that you need to have to rebuild anything, whether it's your marriage or your ministry or your business or a friendship that got blown up last year because of the political environment and the, the COVID environment and the economy stresses and all of that. If you, many of you have to rebuild certain things this year. And so to be able to rebuild something, you need these four things. One is a burden. It's got to, you've got to care deeply about it or you won't have the fuel. Number two, you've got to have vision. What is it exactly you want to see done? Number three, you've got to have favor. You've got to have resources. And number four, you've got to have people to help you. You can't do it alone. So I taught you that. But now what I want to do is go back into the book of Nehemiah and show you how whenever you are trying to rebuild anything, the devil is not going to just let you have a freebie. Especially as a believer who's walking with Jesus, building the kingdom of God, you are a threat to the devil. No other religion is a threat to the devil. No other belief system, no other philosophy of man, no other entity or organization on the planet is a threat to the powers of darkness, but the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the only threat he has. And so when you raise your hand and say, yeah, I want to be in ministry, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, and, 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 the Lord, and, and Satan sees that Jesus saves you, 
puts his spirit in you, gives you the authority of his name, puts spiritual gifts in you, and calls you to be in his army, you don't think that the hordes of hell are aware of that? And then you say, oh man, I want to build my marriage to be a godly marriage. I want to raise my kids to be godly kids. I want to join the church. I want to roll my sleeves to be part of that. You think you're going to get off scot-free? You don't think that that rings the bells of hell? You don't have to be afraid. I'm just saying you got to be aware that you're on the battlefield. And so I'm going to show you five ways today that Satan tries to stop you. And it's not to scare you, it's to make you aware so that you can simply fight intelligently because Jesus said this, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. But if you don't know he's there, if you're ignorant of his devices, as Paul said, we are not ignorant of Satan's strategies to to destroy you. We're not ignorant of them, meaning you've got to be aware of them, right? Uh, Either you're not aware of them, uh, you don't even know you have an enemy, or you're not aware of his strategy. So let's look at five ways he tries to stop you. And these, we're going to dig these out of the book of Nehemiah again. All right. Number one, he will mock you. Everybody say mock. Okay, he's a mocker. He will mock you. Let's look at what he did to the Jews when they began to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But it so happened when Sanballat, that represents the devil, heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant. That is the way the enemy is when you decide you're going to evangelize your friends. You decide you're going to start tithing to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You decide that you're going to serve God and build the kingdom of Jesus. It makes Satan furious and very indignant because he has another, uh, he has a, another adversary, you. Do you know the Bible actually says that if you submit to God... You can then resist the devil, and he will flee from Jesus? Who? That's just like, it sounds like a silly song or something. It's like, well, certainly that's not true. That's just hyper-preaching. No. James, the half-brother of Jesus, is the one that penned that. That if you will submit to God, God... My life is completely yours. And my strategy from now on is simply to pray and obey. From that posture, you can stand up and you can turn and you can tell the devil what to do and he has to obey you. Because you carry the mantle of the captain of the hosts of the armies of heaven. His name is Jesus Christ. James says you can submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. So it doesn't matter that he's furious and very indignant if you were on God's side. And he mocked the Jews. He will mock you. You really think you can restore your marriage? You really think your ministry? You really think that you can, whatever it might be, you fill in the blank. You really, what? You really think that that's going to happen? Ha! That's, that's the voice. Of, Jesus would never say that. That's how you know it's not him. He mocked the Jews, and he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves, strengthen themselves, strengthen strategy 30 for 30? Will they strengthen themselves? Will they offer sacrifices, restore the relationship with God? Some of you feel like you're on plan B with God. Some of you feel like your sin is so bad that you're just going to sit there in church and hope that you make it to heaven. That is a bold-faced lie of the devil. Jesus would never say that to you. 
God's grace is greater than your sin. In fact, it says where your sin abounds, God's grace does what? Much more abounds. Your sin goes here, God's grace goes here. Your sin goes here, God's grace goes here. Somebody's preaching today. Somebody is preaching up in here. Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, the stones that have been burned? Now Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him and said, whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone walls. So what do you do in response to Satan mocking you? He kept doing what, keep doing what Nehemiah did. We're going to look at five ways Satan tries to stop you. Four of them. As soon as the devil did what he was going to do, Nehemiah turned heavenward, looked at God, and prayed to God. His immediate response to every attack of the enemy was to turn his eyes on God. And what God said is what Nehemiah believed. That has got to be our pattern. When you hear a thought and and it, it cripples you, it paralyzes you, it makes you afraid, it shames you, whatever it is, What do you do with that? First, you recognize that's not the voice of God. God wouldn't put that thought in my mind, that shaming thought, that defeating thought. That's not from Jesus. You remember the woman caught in adultery? I mean, that's pretty blunt. That's pretty plain, right? You don't need to interpret whether that was a sin or not. And Jesus cast all the the mockers out of the room and looked at her and said, "Who, who condemns you? She said, nobody. He said, neither do I. Now get up and stop doing that and follow me. See, though, you gotta, you got to recognize the committee. Sanballat and Tobiah are in your head, and they're talking to you. It's a committee. It's a demonic committee, those thoughts. you got to recognize if the thought's from God or not. And if it's not from God, what do you do? You turn to God and say, what do you want to say about this matter? And that's what Nehemiah did again and again and again and again and again, which is how he rebuilt the wall in a miraculous 52 days. He kept his eyes on God and kept his ears listening to the voice of God and no other voice. You've got to do the same thing. I've got to do the same thing. So he says, hear, O God, for we are despised. Now turn the reproach on their own heads and give them as a plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Now, before we move to this next point, I don't want you to just read right over what he just said. Did you catch it, Mary? Did you catch it? <laughs> he said, okay, okay, let me ask you a question. Who was being attacked here? Who was being attacked? Nehemiah was being attacked. Nehemiah was being mocked. But who did, God, who did Nehemiah tell God was being provoked to anger? They provoked you to anger. God's like, oh, oh, what? Really? Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> Nehemiah was so confident that he was doing the will of God that when he was attacked, it was like God was being attacked. How many of you, if somebody attacked one of your kids, you just slap them upside the head? Say, don't you dare, right? 
I watched. A, I saw a, a, a video online just last week, and there was some woman getting into the grill of some teenage girl. And the mom was, it's in a department store. And the mom was like not paying attention. That she looked over and kind of like you could see her processing what was happening. And once she realized that this mom was, was drilling down on her teenage daughter, telling her what she was wearing wasn't appropriate or something, <laughs> it's horrible, but it's good for this particular illustration. The mom saw what was going on. She took her teenage daughter like this and moved to her side and just wound up her fist and went, Bop! And just literally knocked this woman. And oh, just, I mean, it was, it's not the first punch this woman's ever thrown because you could tell this woman knew how to throw a punch. <laughs> and I mean, this other mom was like, like doing this and she was completely could not believe what had just happened. And the other mom just walked off with her daughter. It's like, you don't touch my kid. Okay, you need to know that that's how the father feels about you. When Satan's mocking you, he's attacking you, you tell God, we're being attacked. David did that all the time. He said the same thing. Moses did the same thing. Their relationships are a model for you and I to see that that's the same kind of relationship we have. We're so spiritually insecure. We're always doing the tuck head with God. We change our voice. Oh, thou mighty God. And God's like, who are you? What is that? What? That's weird. What? How come you talk to your friend like that and then you talk to me? Like, well, that's spiritual insecurity is what that is. Nehemiah didn't have that. He was like, me and God are working together, right? Number two, he will attack you. If mocking doesn't work, he will just full-on attack you. Now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to close, praise God, they began to become very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Do you think Satan has created confusion in the United States of America? He has been having a heyday and the church needs to rise up and be the healing agent to our nation. We need to be believers, the salt and light of the world, who are bringing love to hate-filled relationships. You and I need to forgive people so that we are healers. We cannot be part of the problem. We must be the answer. Jesus called you and I the light of the world. Jesus told us to love not just one another, but we are to what? Oh, you knew where I was going, Mary. I'm, Mary is preaching to me, and I'm preaching to Mary. Everybody, so Anybody else who wants to get in on this, you can, but right now... Jesus told us to love our enemies. We're supposed to be a supernatural entity on the planet. And he's conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. For they were all trying to make us afraid. You're going to see this afraid over and over and over and over. No matter what the enemy's trying to do to you, he's trying to inject fear into you. Do you know he did this? with Elijah, Elijah in the Old Testament, where Elijah called fire down from heaven, wiped out 450 prophets of Baal, and, uh, and uh, greatest, you know, supernatural victory probably in the entire Bible. Craziness. Then Jezebel threatens him and says, tomorrow I'm going to kill you. And he allowed that word to go into his heart 
and it created fear and it caused him to run into the desert until he was completely drained of energy and asked God to kill him. I'm done. I want to die. And he, and he, and he, and he, and he, and he gave into self-pity. Thankfully, God restored him. But fear will drive you off your calling. God will help you get back on. But just recognize what fear will do. And that's what he's trying to do with Nehemiah is inject fear into him. What are we supposed to be walking in? Not fear, but faith. We are the household of faith. We're not the household of fear. But Satan will keep trying to inject fear into the house. And he says he's trying to make us afraid, saying that their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. So if he can't just stop you by mocking you, he will attack you with sickness, unjust treatment at work, get someone to turn on you, financial setbacks, whatever it might be. So what do you need in that situation? Well, if you're not able to block it from happening, you're going to need the strength of God to get through the valley of the shadow of death to the other side. And so he prays now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Just because you're a believer, just because you sign up for for the army of God doesn't mean you're going to have it easy. And I've already said that. I'll say it again. If you think it's going to be easy, you're going to be confused. Jesus said, in this life, Ron, you are going to have tribulation and trials. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Just stick close to me and we're going to make it through this. Can I hear an amen? Number three, he will try to intimidate you. It says in Nehemiah, and and our adversary adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came, they told us 10 times, from whatever place you turn, they're going to be upon us. Often Satan is not going to attack you. He's just going to tell you he's going to get you. Fear, F-E-A-R, false evidence, appearing real. Worry, I'm sorry, it's kind of loud. Worry is faith in the reverse. Right, Dennis? Worry is faith that something bad's going to happen. Right? You're thinking of the worst case scenario and it's riddling you with fear. That's faith. And bad things that are going to happen. Now, I'm going to be transparent with you. Right now, I've been talking to the Lord saying, I'm slipping into that. We have had so much trial. Like Hope said to me a couple days ago, I've got crisis fatigue. Anybody? 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 Crisis fatigue? You ever experienced that? (laughs) One of the people in the back going, I feel that. I feel that. Crisis fatigue. You can, you can get hit and get hit and get hit until you find yourself expecting the next bad thing to happen. You know you're going through a trial when good news is, well, that could have been worse. That becomes your testimony. Well, it could have been worse. That's a tough season. And so I'm catching myself. I'm catching myself slipping into expecting the next bad thing to happen. And if you guys know the story that we've been through the last couple of years, you know how easy it would be to go there. So I'm, asked, I'm telling the Lord, you got to hold me accountable to be a man of faith because I'm starting to slip into fear. So this message is for me as much as it is for you and anybody else who's hearing it. Satan will paint the worst picture, po- picture possible in your head and try to get you to believe it. 
What did Nehemiah do? He responded in faith. And he put a strategic plan into place. It's not just enough to turn your eyes on God and pray. Sometimes you need to match Satan's strategic plan with a divine strategic plan. So here, it says this, Therefore... This is the only uh, one of the five. This is the only one of the five ways Satan tries to stop you. Where Nehemiah didn't pray, he actually did something. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I said the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. You have armor, you know, the armor of God. It is yours, and it's for a reason. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the leaders and to the rest of the people. I'm saying to you to hear today, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. He now is getting the people's eyes on God, as I'm trying to do today through preaching. You've got to get your eyes on the Lord in your situation. Get it off the enemy and on to the Lord. What is he saying about it? Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. That's what Josh does when he comes and leads worship. He's getting our eyes off ourselves and up on the Lord. You guys feel that when we're worshiping? Little by little by little by little by little, we're getting our eyes off of ourselves and onto the greatness of God. That's the power of worship. And then he does something really wise. Remember the Lord great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. That's what we are fighting for, family of God. We're fighting for our families. We're fighting for our kids. We're fighting for our church. We're fighting for the church, and we're fighting for our nation. But ultimately, we're fighting for souls. That's one of the things that grieves me the most. Last year, the church got their eye, took their eye off the ball. Politics is not what we are called to. We're not called to fix the economy. We're part of it. We're supposed to be the salt and light of the world. We're not called to, to figure out a pandemic. We are called to save souls. And when you blow up a relational bridge over politics or whatever else it might be, you just blew up the very bridge that God was building for you to lead that person to his son. What's more important, winning an argument or winning a soul? We've got to get our eyes back on the ball, the gospel. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing That all of us return to the wall and everyone to his own work. Number four, he will accuse you. Then Sinballat sent his servants to me as before. The fifth time. Satan keeps coming, keeps coming, keeps coming, keeps the fifth time. He keeps coming with the same message. Satan attacked Jesus three times, the son of God. So don't think just because Satan attacks you one time and you win a victory that it's over. No, no. He, he is relentless in trying to stop you. But he can't if you will continue to cleave to Jesus. Listen to the voice of God. Be strengthened by the Spirit of God. And continue keeping your eyes on Jesus. You know, Hebrews 12, right? Setting aside the sin and the weights that easily ensnares us. Run the race set before you. How? Looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus the author, the beginner, and the finisher, the completer of my faith. Then Sanballat and his servants sent to me the fifth time with an open letter in his hand, and it was written. Now, this is insidious. This one's just nasty. 
It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king, which wasn't true. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, there's a king in Judah. Now, these matters will be reported to the king of Babylon, who had sent him to rebuild the city. That would be really bad. If the king back there believed that Nehemiah now was trying to raise up his own kingdom to be a king, the king of Babylon would send all of his forces to come and wipe them out. That's a bad rumor to get back to the ears of the king. Now these matters were reported to the king. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. Has Satan ever lied to you before? Has he ever lied about you before? (laughs) has he ever tried to destroy your reputation false accusations anybody and you're like scrambling to try to block those lies and undo the gossip and convince everybody anybody ever tried that before it's a mess when you get involved in that and you try to weed through all that the lies and deceptions of the enemy when people are buying the lies and you can't convince them that it's not true and it's affecting your relationships. I mean, this is serious stuff. He will accuse you that your motives aren't pure. You know what I say to him when he says that to me now? I'll tell you a story here about how I didn't do this early on. But when he accuses me that my motives aren't pure, I say, and? Nobody's motives are 100% pure. We're fallen people. Hopefully, my motives are mostly pure, right? Like when you're doing something great for God. Everybody wants, you want to hear people say, that was awesome. That feels good, doesn't it? Oh, you're selfish. You're doing it for yourself. Yeah, you know, you're right, because it's true. Well, part of it might be true because you have needs to be loved. And you have needs to be significant. And so Satan will take those, quote, ungodly needs or your, maybe your, your personal ambition that you're using for God, and yet they're still part of your ego, part of your own need to be loved and accepted and adored and all that kind of stuff mixed up in there. So Satan will shine a big spotlight on the small percentage of your motives that might still need to be purified and sanctified a little bit. He's certainly not going to be telling you about how much all your godly motives are also motivating you. And Jesus does just the opposite. He's talking to you about, attaboy, good job. That was awesome. Come on, let's go. He's an encourager. And if you have some situation over here that's going to trip you up, he'll say, hey, you know what? Confess that to me. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, great. Let's move on. That's, kind of, that's how he rolls, right? But that's not how Satan rolls. And so Satan will accuse you and get you to focus on your unsanctified portion of your the motives of your heart to stop you in your tracks now i remember one time when i was a pastor out on staff in east county here as a couple thousand member church and i was over the singles ministry and the young college career and i was up at the uh i was up at the greeter table and i saw this woman coming from across the parking lot. i'd never seen it before and something in me was like red flags going off all inside him. I was like, there's something not right about her. I turned around and walked back into the sanctuary to, to not, I didn't even want to greet her. 
Sure enough, man, she was a jazzy. She was a jazzy. I'm just saying it because it's true. Hopefully she's got that demon cast out of her and she's who God created her to be. But at that time and place, she was a Jezebel. She had a Jezebel spirit. And she came after me, man. And I was about to be ordained into the full-time ministry. I'd been serving in the church for a number of years. And it's time to, I was going to be ordained like the next week. It was a monumental moment in my walk with God and my calling in God. And, uh, you know, I was overseeing a, a ministry of a couple hundred of the young college and age there. And, you know, I'd been pastoring them for a number of years. And we loved each other. We were tight. We had a vision. We had unity. We were, it was awesome. And she came to me and pulled me aside. She goes, I really need to talk to you. I feel like the Lord. She told me she was a professional intercessor. That was the first sign that, we are, that, that there's problems in paradise. When you call yourself a professional intercessor. <sighs> I'm a professional intercessor. Ooh, that means she says things you don't understand, which makes her more spiritual than you. And, uh, and so she said to me, the Lord has uh, revealed to me that you uh, are a cult leader. That these people will do anything you say. I was like, well, they are, they are pretty loyal. Oh my gosh. Have I really created a cult? Am I a cult leader? I'm a, I, I mean, I was just young and dumb. I just, I, I, I had no discernment, right? Just a tender heart, just wanting to serve the Lord, want all my motives to be pure all the time. And so I went home. I was on my knees in my one-bedroom apartment crying out to God. And went, oh, God, I'm a cult leader. I'm going to be ordained in the ministry. Oh, God. I was, I was crying. I was weeping. I was calling to God. I'm like, and God, I'm searching for it in my heart, but I can't find it. And the Lord broke in and said, do you know why you can't find it? I was like, because it's buried so deep. <laughs> I need a sozo, man. He said, because it's not there. Well, I'd never considered that. Why? Because the heart is wicked above all things who can know it, right? And if somebody told me they saw something in my heart as though they could, now I know better. I took a walk on the beach and said, Lord, what the heck? And he said, I will never send somebody to you to tell you your sin unless I know that they love you and you can trust them. I did not send her. Man, what a lesson, man. What a lesson. I love uh, Nehemiah's response. Oh my gosh, I wish I could be more like Nehemiah. Then I said to him, no such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. Bam! Gosh! Drop the mic. That was a drop the mic moment in the Bible. We're going to send a message to the king. We're going to tell him that you're doing this and you're doing that. Oh, no. Oh, my reputation. Oh, no. Oh, no. They're gossiping. They're gossiping. He said, making that up in your own head. For they were all trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work and they, it will not be done. There, O oh God strengthen our hands man he said to him also i didn't have in the scripture he said why should a man why should i doing a great work for god come down off this wall to talk to you 
Okay, you took five more minutes after that happened to you last week. Why should I come down off this wall? You need to say that to Satan. I'm doing a great work with God. Why should I come down off this wall and talk to you? Oh, man. It's taken me months and years to continually gain more and more confidence in discerning between God talking to me and the devil talking to me, and through people, by the way, and, and not defending my reputation or defending myself. Anybody else here? Anybody can walk with me in this? Come on, am I all alone? Yeah, and you started to discern that. It, it's not cockiness. It's not defensiveness. It's not being unteachable. It's discernment. And so we hit the last one. He will threaten you. We're going to close with this. Afterward, I came to the house of Shemia, the son of Deliah, the son of Nelah, who was a secret informer. And he said, let us meet together, Mark, in the house of God within the temple. And let us close the doors of the temple because they're coming to kill you. Indeed, at night, they're going to come and kill you. And, you know, you see Nehemiah go, oh, my gosh. And then he's like, wait a minute. I love this. He said, should such a man as I flee, should such a man as I flee. Again, not cocky, just aware that he was a man of God. Are you aware that you are a woman of God? Are you aware that you are a man of God? Can you say that? Not cocky, but with humble confidence. I can say it. I'm a man of God. I'm not perfect. But David was a man of God. He committed first degree murder and adultery. And God still said, a man after my own heart. Like, God, are you confused? No. God sees your heart. He sees your screw-ups, but he sees your heart. And David was soft and repentant. And he would, was honest and transparent with God. That's why God loved him so much. So such a man as I flee. And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his own life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all. Once clarity comes, discernment comes, all the lights go on. You go, oh, I know what this is. You had me fooled for a minute, but I got you now. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. Man, what a putz. For this reason, he was hired that I should be afraid and act that way and sin so that they might have cause of an evil report and that they might reproach me. And Nehemiah again responded in prayer. My God, remember Tobiah and St. Ballad, according to all these, their works, the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me, say it out loud, afraid. There's that fear once again. When Satan threatens you or threatens your life, if you have bowed the knee to Jesus and have already given him your life like for real, then threats on your life are irrelevant. Kill me. Do me a favor, please. I will just go to heaven and be with Jesus. I mean, think about that. If Satan threatens your life. Now for us, it might just be threatening your reputation at school. You don't want to tell your friends that you're a Christian. 
because your reputation will be, you'll be mocked. You're one of those silly Christians at work. You don't want to be that Christian at work. You don't want to be ostracized. You don't want to be the one that's not invited out to lunch and not one of the boys or not in the clique or whatever it might be, you know. Yeah, you might be put outside the camp like Jesus was, it says in the book of Hebrews. He was crucified outside the camp. You want to identify with him or you want to hide so you can be part of the crew. You see, once you decide that your life belongs to Jesus, then you say, okay, well, I guess I'll be mocked, I'll be threatened, I'll be persecuted, and I might even die. When I was in Africa, these guys, I'd go out in discipleship. We'd get up in the morning to go out and, and, and witness. Each, everyone I went out with had a friend or a family member or a pastor or a church member who had been either tortured or, or killed. When they literally get sent out in the morning to go preach the gospel, they don't know if they're going to come back or not. And I was supposed to be training them. Right? You ministered at the underground church in Vietnam, Dennis, right? Your brother, Jen's brother, is going to be preaching in two weeks here. He's overseas as a missionary, and he is fighting uh, human trafficking. Very dangerous. But once, but these guys that I would, I would go out with, they had already decided... They, when they got saved, they heard the call. And the call was, this is Jesus' call to us, by the way. This isn't the American gospel you're about to hear. This is the gospel you're about to hear. When Jesus calls you, he says, come and die. And I will give you life. He said that if you try to save your life, you will lose it. But if you will lose your life for my sake, you will truly find it. That's the problem with American Christianity is we're trying to sell salvation and a set of steak knives. You get these two. Two for one if you get saved today. And so it's a consumer gospel. That's why we're weak. But if you come to the true gospel, which is come and die. And then live for me then you don't care where you go. You don't care who says what about you because you're on divine assignment. Let's all stand. I want to lead you in a prayer that I wrote down. So I closed this a moment too early. How is, how is Satan tormenting you? Is he mocking you, tormenting your mind? Is he attacking you, like physically, financially? Is he trying to intimidate you to get you to back away and hide? Is he... Is he accusing you of your motives not being completely pure? Is he threatening you? And what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? How about let's start today by getting our eyes back on God. Let's get our eyes back on God. What is he saying to you about it? (laughs) What is he saying to you? Come on, close your eyes and just... Thank you.
ask the Lord right now, say, what do you want to say to me about this? I'm going to give you just a minute to hear from the Lord. Just say, Lord, what do you want to say to me about this? another minute. I want you to sink down into this and really listen to the Lord. He may put a divine thought in your mind. He may give you an image in your heart, an impression, communicate with you in some way. Just ask him again. Say, Lord, what do you want to say to me about these things? We're doing some lies in here today. Who feels like they got something from the Lord right there? Right there? Okay. Are you, are you bold enough to say it out loud? What, what, if you can, if it's, not too, if it's not too personal, can you say like a word or a phrase, Chris? Oh, yeah. Remember who you are. Oh, man. Yeah, Mark. I am with you always. Mary. <laughs> the two step. Come on, everybody do the two step. Come on, do the two step. <laughs> Kelly. Be consistent in your coming to me. He gave you instruction on how to be victorious. Jerry. I was just going to say that scripture. First Peter 2 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You got a word? Kobe, come on. You want to roll the red carpet out between this chair and that? Mike, I'll do it. Okay. Uh, so I feel like God was talking to me this morning, and everything that John was saying, even what Josh was doing in worship this morning, kind of confirmed it. He said, intentions are good, but they're not God. Um. And it kind of brings the story to me about Cain and Abel, how God set something up, and they both approached God with good intentions, but one was listening to what God was saying, and the other wasn't. And I know that doesn't seem important, but the result of that chapter is that he murdered his brother mm. because he wasn't able to accept what God was trying to say or do in his life. So, you know, before we get to that point, uh, I feel like what... Um, what God wants us to do is that if we do, someone does correct us out of love and that person that trusts us, try to turn off the enemy's voice when you're hearing it or the enemy's touch on that. Because yeah. sometimes when we grow up, we have a narrative in our head of the biggest influences in our life. It could be our parents. It could be someone that when they say something to you, they're, they're trying to, you know, they're trying to point out what you're doing wrong and say, oh, you're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong that could have been better and so when people come alongside us and actually love us and they say and they try to co uh, correct us in a spirit of love we don't hear that we hear what we grew up with and it's like a critical spirit on top mm -hmm. of that yeah so going back to what i feel like god was telling me you know intentions are good but they're not god 
So he'll never come to you, like John said, that's so important. He'll never come to you and point out what you're doing wrong just for the sake of it. He'll yeah. be like, that's good. I'm proud of you. Yeah. But, you know, we could do this together or I'm waiting you to approach me like this. And so don't be so hung over on like, you know, I'm doing all this work for you, God. And he's like, I never asked you to do it. I never asked you to do it that way. Yeah. But when we are sensitive to how God's speaking, that's where we need to get in the word, get into prayer, get yourself surrounded, accountable with other men and women that are deep in the word so you can hear God. And not only that, but his gentle spirit and his gentle voice so we can align ourselves. And it's going to be a never ending process. Like if you're in a mindset where it's like I have reached my cap and you're still alive, that's not a thing. (laughs) <laughs> that's not a thing so always be open to hear that gentle correction from God and when you move and you're willing to grow every day in that yeah and I'm talking about someone who's talking to you or God that's talking to you out of love yeah when you're willing to grow in that possibilities yeah limitless amen right on Kobe right on Kobe yeah All right, let's pray this prayer together. I just want you to repeat this prayer with me, okay? Let's lock in here as we're closing up today. Just pray this prayer aloud to say, Oh God, I turn my eyes on you and you alone. You are the source of my strength. Speak to my heart, oh God. Strengthen my hands. And my heart for the life you've called me to. Fill me with your spirit of love, power, and a sound mind right now. Give me fresh vision. Give me new hope so I can serve you with all my heart. Now we're going to speak to the enemy. Say, Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You are a liar and I will not listen to you anymore. From this day forward, I will only listen to the voice of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Can I get a shot of praise? Come on, praise them. Come on. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Now I want to say in closing, if you have never given your life to Jesus before, He is waiting for you. Maybe here in this room, maybe online, He's waiting for you. And He is welcoming you. He's already paid it all for you. You don't have to pay it. You don't have to earn it. You have to work for it. You don't have to clean up your life so that he accepts you, nor could you. He's saying, come to me just as you are, and I will clean you up. But the first thing he will do is forgive you completely for all of your sins and give you a brand new start. So, if that's you, just close your eyes. Close your eyes here just for a minute, church. If that's you and you want this prayer, and you want to give your life to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and have a brand new start with Him. We just raise your hand right where you are here in this house. Just raise your hand and say, that's me. Give my life to Jesus right now. 
if you have been away from the Lord and you are coming back and you are you've been tricked by the enemy and knocked off path and you're coming right back and rededicating your life to Jesus will you raise your hand where we are and say I'm coming back to the Lord and I want to serve him with all my heart if that's you will you raise your hand and those of you online pray this prayer let's just all pray this prayer out loud together just say dear Jesus I invite you into my life I ask you to forgive me for all my sins I give my life to you and I confess you as my savior I died to myself and I will live for you in Jesus name now if you just prayed that prayer and gave your life to Jesus I want to know about it please um, let me know before you leave today come and talk to me prayer teams are going to come up here. You prayer teams, you guys come up here uh, right now and we're going to pray for anyone who needs prayer, whether physical healing, you need a miracle, just want them to lay hands on you, maybe for a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've never gotten your prayer language, you don't speak in tongues, and you want to have a release of your prayer language, operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, maybe you need prayer for someone, a loved one, someone that needs a breakthrough. Um, then you can make your way up as Josh leads us in worship. And uh, of course, if you have children, you're going to need to slip out and go get your kids but what a great day in the house of god and uh and a membership class after church today uh, if you want to go to that let me know i will give you the address it starts at one lunch will be provided from one to four love to have you there it's it's uh getting to know the gathering place you can ask all the questions you're always afraid to ask it's a safe place all right let's worship all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. together. If not, have a blessed week. We will see you either at
getting to know the gathering place or next week. We look forward to that. God bless you guys.